0: Usually I start off with some type of quirky story about my own life that relates. And part of that is my comfort zone comes from speaking uh, through parables and stories. I love the comfort of being able to take a story, like a parable, because I see it almost live action movie of current life. So it's easy for me to get on stage and kind of say how I envision that. And then, I'm not gonna lie, today's message was a bit of a challenge for me because it's not a parable. It's not to be taken however you want. It's pretty clear and direct. And so I just want to set the tone for that because it, it's going to have some harsh truths, but it's, it's out of a place of love. And to get that, you have to understand the author. And so the author is Paul. And so when I say I have to do some research for this, y'all, you know, for the first time ever, I flipped to the back of my Bible and realized that the maps are actually useful. They, they track with the stories. And so I actually turned to the back and realized uh, where exactly it was that Paul took his journey. And so for me, I don't know, some of you probably sat like me, I'm like, okay, Ephesus, cool, and had no clue where it's at, do you? Yeah, thought so. So when I actually looked at it, it's modern day Turkey. And so Paul took his journey through what is Asia, and all of them have different titles because these civilizations were destroyed for multiple different reasons, but it's important for me at least to know who is he even talking to. And so as Paul is on this journey, it talks about in like, Acts, his journey throughout, where he talks to Colossians, Galatians, like all the nations, and one common theme continually comes up. And that's that after he spent two years speaking to the people of Ephesus, he left. And then this letter is actually his rebuttal after he finally realized what he saw. After two years of doing ministry, he looked back and saw that it was a, he addresses it to the saints of Ephesus. So it's the church. It's the people who are sitting in here today. And when he addresses it, if you look back in multiple letters, he's he's addressing the second part of his ministry as, I've taught the gospel. They now know who Jesus is. They know what gift is out there, yet they're turning back, yet they're turning away. And so that's so important to know and set up the text, but also knowing who Paul is and his call. And so we talked about calling last week, but in Acts 22, it sets it up where Paul has such a direct intent when speaking to the church of Ephesus because literally he's heard from God that this is where you are supposed to be. You are supposed to go and minister to the Gentiles. And it it talks about his struggle in that. In Acts 19, just prior to that, it talks about how he's afraid because all these people know who he is. It talks about how he's afraid to go and speak because these are the same people who watched him beat a man in front of the synagogue. This is the same man who waited on them as they came to worship and challenged them with death. And so he's like, how am I going to be the one to go and be transparent and share this? And so that's so important to know that this isn't just someone who had a cookie cutter lifestyle that's sitting here laying out rules and telling you, hey, don't do this, because this is just, this is religion. This is what we do. He's saying, no, like I've walked this walk. I've been on the dirtiest side of what life looks like, and here's what has helped me get by. So it's important to know that when we go, but also... Going back to just the people of Ephesus, when I looked it up, and it, like I said, it's modern-day Turkey, but it's interesting that they were known for worshiping a little g-god, and it was Artemis, which is a Greek god that was known for wildlife, hunt, um, let's see, it says vegetation, and then randomly childbirth. I don't know how those equate to childbirth, but basically, your guys who went to Bass Pro and loved outdoors and hunting... This is their little G-God. And so, like, in Acts, it refers back to how the people of Ephesus constantly would go back to worshiping Artemis, even in the midst of learning who God is, learning of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so, it's just important to to set all that up, but I'm going to go very direct and go straight to it. And so, we're going to start in Ephesians 4, and we're going to read tonight 17 through 32. And so at the very beginning, it's um, live as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, a continual lust for more. And so we start off this letter by reading what Paul says is like, here are some people like, look around you. He's talking to Gentiles and saying, look around you. Are you any different from them? And he's saying, look at the lifestyle. He, he sets it up very clearly of they, they indulge in every impurity. They have no moral compass. And basically what he's saying is, look around you. They will forever thirst. This is a common theme we saw it uh, in John 4 with the woman at the well, where Jesus even tells her that, come to me. I am the only living water. I am the only thing that will, will give you everything that you need. He says, anything else you will continue to have to come back and thirst for more. And Paul is staying consistent with the gospel when he's saying this of, they will chase after everything that their heart lusts for more. And then I say, look at, look at our world right now. Is that not a direct reflection of that? I mean, as young adults, most of us are walking in careers, and how often do we stumble with the thought and the danger of, I want more money. I want this promotion. And then what is that going to take? What sacrifices does do we have to make to get there? How much time? You know, We always lust for more time. I didn't get to do this. I want more. We look at the aging process of just like, How can I hold on to this? And then even more so, just the pleasures, the the relationships, the people. We constantly pull. We always want more because when we're searching for our value in the world, when we're looking to be filled in the world, he's telling you, it's going to be everlasting. The bar that's set by the world is always going to move. I have a friend that's, I mean, a millionaire. I mean, that's lighthearted. He's got over $50 million. He's set for life. And it's funny, we, we talk, and one of the things he even said, he's like, sometimes I envy the life I had before money. Because right now, he's in a place where it's not going to bring him any more fulfillment. He's constantly getting more, but he's like, that's not even what it's about. Sometimes he, he misses the simplicities of not having it. And then I think even for myself, how often do, do I seek the stage, more followers, more, more whatever, And so Paul is setting it up of saying this is what a life removed from Christ is. It's always chasing more in the world and you're constantly going to be let down. You're never going to get there. So that brings me to my first point and that's walking new hope. You see, what Paul is laying out in verses 17 through 19 is a a life with no hope. It says that their hearts were hardened so much that it, it calloused any hope that they may have a freedom in Christ. And so what does a hardened heart look like? It's when life constantly weighs you down. It's all the things that everyone in this room has experienced that lets them think that there's no other side. My family has always been this way. We have always been in this mindset. There's no way it can change. I've always been here. People have always left me isolated. This is what I have, so I might as well enjoy it. And so Paul is saying, walk in new hope. And then he gets very direct in verse 20. As Andy likes to say, this is where Paul gets in our business. And it says, you, however, do not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So I want to go back to the the very first line in there. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. He's saying, look at everything around you. And then in, in the most simple way, he's saying, go back and remember why you first came to the foot of the cross. Remember why, not that you wanted me, but the day that you came and said, I need you, God. I need you in my life because everything I've done up until this point has left me wherever. And so I know personally for me, it, it came my freshman year of college. I was on the wrestling team. Athletics is going well. That's where I saw a lot of my value. If athletics was going good, then life was good. If it was going bad, life was going bad. Constantly changing bar. I lived for the nightlife. I lived for the party. I'm, I'm still a social person, but at that time, it was for a totally different reason is because I want it so badly for someone to connect with me, someone to have those conversations, someone to be there, because I didn't feel like I had those true relationships. I think back on my relationship with my dad and how like, I want it so badly for someone to just love me, and so I look for that in every way and shape and form of relationships. And what Paul is saying in this first line is, just take a moment back and reflect. Why did you even come here in the first place? Why are we having this conversation in this church? You came to Christ because you needed something. Why would you ignore that? And then he knows his audience, in verse 21 he says, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And for me, when I read that, I can't help but think that he just kind of had this sarcastic, like poking of the bear of like, I mean, If you came to the foot of Christ, you know exactly why you left. There's nothing to look back to. And he's saying, surely, I mean, that is if you got to the foot of the cross. And so in that, I feel like it's a very harsh, but in the most loving way of saying, do you know Christ? Have you ever had that encounter to reflect on? Because right now he's saying you're turning away. And for some of you, you're turning away because you never knew. You never had that experience. You never knew truth. In John, there's somewhere where it says that Jesus literally says, I am the way, the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So going back, do you know Jesus or don't you? Surely. And so after that, he comes out of it and says, the moment you realize it's not enough, Paul gets real and says, have you forgotten why? Like I said, think back to the day that you first came to the cross. And then he he fast forwards down in 21 and he says, assuming you do know truth, again. And so you didn't like whatever you, you left, why walk back? Just think about that. You didn't like what you had, you hated it, why would you go back? It's not logical, yet we all do it. In Romans 6.21, this is another letter from Paul. He even says, what benefit did you reap from the things you're ashamed of? He's saying, like, what do you gain from even looking at this? What do you gain from going back? You already know the despair. And I'm not going to lie. I'll be honest with you. I do it constantly, and and I'm ashamed of it. I have turned back. There's been moments where out of my loneliness I have picked up a drink and just sat there thinking that this will fix something, and it didn't. It just left me there wondering, why did I even touch this in the first place? I know where to go. Yet I think Jay said this, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. We want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. So often we know exactly what's gonna fix our problems. We know what we're turning to, and yet we still walk away. And so for me, I can't help but reflect back on a story uh, of Moses. And so to set it up, Moses is the guy who led the people out of Egypt, right? Out of slavery, out of all the hurt they literally had to bear, hard labor. They had no freedom. And at some point, Moses hears from God. He takes, on the, takes them on the journey, leads them across the sea, and they get out, right? And it's funny because this is a direct reflection of what's going on now. He says, as soon as they got to the other side, they found freedom. How quickly did they turn back to worshiping this gold calf? He went away for some quiet time with with God. And as soon as he came back, they're worshiping this gold calf. They're complaining because it wasn't in their timing. And so they're like, well, why did we come here? We were better off as slaves. What type of mentality is that? To think that because it's not in my time, because it's not a, a give me God, that it's like, you know what, I'm better off going back to the life that I used to have. And in that, it's, it's crazy that even Moses dealt with this in the Old Testament. Here we are in, in the New Testament, Paul's dealing with it, and we're still dealing with it today. But the thing that really stands out to me is that Moses in this moment, when he goes up to Mount Sinai, it talks about how he, sent, he spent time in the presence of God. He was was there physically. And when he came down from the the mountain, it says that there was a noticeable glow. He looked different. And basically what it's saying, Paul is even referring to it now, if you truly encounter Christ, something's got to look different about you. Something's got to stand out. You cannot be in the presence of God and not embrace what comes with him. We now have the Holy Spirit in us, right? We get that encounter with God daily if we choose it. So, how do we not look different? That is what he's addressing in this part. He's saying, you're the church. I've just laid out for you what the Gentiles look like. And he's saying, most of you look exactly the same. But you're wearing the badge of saying, I am a Christ follower, but you, you don't look the part. And so that leads me to the second point, which is, you have to walk with purpose. You see, once you chose to walk this life out, once you chose to be in the presence of God there was something about you that has to have purpose. You have to know where you came from. But more than anything, you have to know why you're walking it out now. Why? Because of the encounter with God, because of that specific moment. And so this next part, I think, is is so interesting, how Paul, with the the very slight of a word, changes the whole tone of the message. He goes from this large theological banter of like, here's your life with Christ, here's your life without remember, right? We're balancing that. And then he goes directly into how are we going to apply this into behavior? Because Paul knew, I can tell you all about your relationship with Christ. I can tell you all about what one looks like and what one doesn't. But if I don't tell you how to get there, you're prone to wander. You're prone to try and figure this out. And so in this next part, I want you to bear with me, but it's it's very direct. Like, I I love, like I said, parables because you can kind of apply it how you want. This is very straightforward instructions. But in everything that he writes out in this part, there's two things that stand out. One is that it's all based on relationship. Going back to the the general theme of Ephesus is that we have to be unified. We can't do it alone. Our faith was not meant to be a one-on-one private deal that you get to live in your fairytale world of like, because I'm isolated, I didn't offend anybody. I didn't do anything against the rules. So we're here because then you miss the whole point. God says, we're called to expand his kingdom. We're called to make disciples. You can't do that by yourself. You can't have followers if you don't have people. And so in this, he's saying, hey, all of this is mindful of how do you deal with relationships? And then the second thing is, he knows the balance of if I just give you truth, if I give you all rules and just list it out, then what does it look like if you're someone who doesn't meet any of the checkboxes? I just listed out everything that you, you fall short on, and I don't tell you any, any grace. I don't tell you any why or how to get there. He's already talking to a people who are prone to wonder How easy is it to just turn, turn away? You list out all these rules like sometimes we do out of just giving people the truth, And we don't level with them on the part of grace on, hey, here's how you get there. It's okay to take step by step. And that's what he's saying right here. He's like, I'm going to lay out some steps for you to take one at a time. It's okay if you have to learn some of these over time, but it's a process. And so when I think of this, uh, just recently I saw a quote by one of my, my favorite speakers, and that's Inky Johnson. And he said this, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. I'm going to say that again. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. It's been a common theme in all of this, right? Give truth, but do it lovingly. And so here, we're, we're about to apply it to very literal life. And so I'm going to go straight into verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one, one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And so my third point is you have to walk in new community. And so I say that because for me, when I read this, it was a clear-cut way of how do you lean into your community and use them. And so on the very first line, verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. He's saying, hey, we're believers, right? We're in this struggle together. And for me, what I think he's honestly saying, because I had to, to strip it away, he's like, stop putting on the face. Stop coming to church and going out into the world and saying everything's perfect, acting like your Christian life is just, hey, I'm here. Because what he's saying is, I can't bless this lie. Like we're, we're creating standards that are unreachable, unattainable, not just for ourselves, but even those who see it. And so in this, he's saying, be truthful, be vulnerable. Let those in the body know your transgressions. And what's very important is in the body. He's not saying, just go share your business, with any and everybody, but he's saying, get a group of believers that are in this church, right? Lean in on them, use them. And so for me, how do I apply this? I think of the fact of if I were to show up every day and just be like, hey, I'm happy, I'm good, and it's a day where I really need someone to to pray for me. I really need someone to be there for me. What did I just do? I just discredited what they could offer me. We talked about how everyone has a unique calling. For some of you, it's the power of prayer. For some of you, it's simply being an ear to listen to. For others of you, it's more applicable in different things, but he's saying, if you're not honest, then how can people help you? How can I put people in position to be there for you if you're constantly living in this lie? And so for me, once again, I've learned to boast in my weakness, just as Paul says. For me, it's no secret. I have a huge problem with anxiety whenever I speak. I've recently made that very clear to my my friend group. Right before I got up here to speak, I have two people that are here tonight that text me, hey, I'm praying for you. I know how you get. I'm here for you. Let me know whatever you need. That wouldn't be possible if I wasn't vulnerable. It wouldn't be possible if I didn't share. Again, being completely honest, I I struggled with a pornography addiction for years. And I had a, a good buddy of mine who used to be here, Joel Bumpus, who, we got together. We were truthful. He's like, man, I struggled with that too. All right, how are we going to battle this? He bought covenant eyes and put me on it. Like, that's how serious it was. Once again, there was a blessing that he could offer me. But if I wasn't being honest and vulnerable, then it's not there. And so what Paul's saying here is in the body of Christ, we, we can't walk around with this mass saying that we got everything figured out because then it eliminates some of the gifts that he's placed in this room to help you. And so then we go to the second part. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Once again, this is important to know the author. Paul is not a stranger to conflict with other believers, even more so, other disciples. Like if you go back to Acts, it talks about where he had a very clear cut disagreement with Barnabas to the point where they went on two separate journeys, splitting the disciples. And he saw the consequences of what comes when you're not unified. And so what he's saying here is, I'm not naive enough to know that every believer in here is always going to have the same idea, the same method of applying it in different things. Taylor said it before, like, hey, we're made to be different. That's how God wanted us to be, right? But he's saying, don't let those differences bring anger to you, which then creates sin. Because sin interrupts our calling. There are certain moments where if you, let, if you let anger just fester, it turns into an action. And then when you start to act on it, now you have a problem. We're two people walking in our calling, and suddenly if I'm taking ill-hearted action towards you, guess what? Somewhere in there, we're, we're being distracted from the whole point, which is God's work. I can't do God's work out of an evil heart. So how are you doing it angry at, at your brother who you're walking it out beside? And so he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, he's saying it. Any small section of sin, any small opportunity, he's saying the devil is going to take it and run with it. We see it all the time. We see small groups dismantle because of one difference. You've walked in love and truth with each other for however long, going through scriptures, and now off of one difference, you're dismantled, right? Some of you have experienced that, and that's what he's saying. Don't Don't let these small things get you away from what's truly benefiting God's kingdom. And then we go to verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And so, for me, the first part of this is very clear. If you're stealing, you can't really be giving away stuff, right? Like, if you steal my TV, you can't go and gift it to somebody else. That's just... Bad logic. I'm, I'm going to be upset. The person who has it, it's not theirs to keep. But even more so in this, he continues on saying, work hard so that you may have something to offer those in need. Going back to, we talked about calling and some of you, like you, you're business minded and there's a balance of that desire, but some of you, he's going to put you in position to fulfill the needs of other believers. That is part of your calling. He's going to truly give you great favor to be able to benefit others in the kingdom. But he's saying, like, hey, if you're, if you're shortcutting it, if you're cheating the system to get where you're at, how can you, out of a good heart, give that away? How can you serve other believers when you didn't even get it out of the heart that God has given you? And so that leads me to my fourth point, which is walk with a new heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying it clearly here, like, you're going to have to change the way that you, you talk, how you, how you approach certain people. And so in this next part, we, we get into it. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, that's a heavy part for me. Because for me, I very often sidetrack my words and say it's just an unconscious, unconscious thought, but really, it's me not wanting to surrender my heart. It truly is. I I mean, I I can't fake it. There's been constant moments where my my mouth does not represent that of Christ. Definitely not that of someone who should be on the stage. Like, just being completely transparent with you. And so he says it, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so when I read that part, he's saying like, hey, if you're bad-mouthing people, you're talking bad about them. And honestly, none of us are as good at at it as we think. It gets back to them. One way or another, people talk. The friend that you thought was going to keep your secret, they're going to be like, hey, don't tell anybody else because I'm not supposed to tell, but hey, let me... And then it's going to get back to them, right? We've seen it constantly. And so he's saying, what does it look like for one day you to go up to someone and say, hey, like, I feel like you need to to know Jesus. You need to have this, this, this love, this... And they're like, you don't even love me. You don't even like me. Like, what does that look like? He's saying, like, when we, when we talk bad about others, when we create these walls, that is going to create a barrier in your calling, in your ministry. You can't go out and approach people and say it's out of a place of love when you don't represent that in your actions. And then even more so... It says, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And when I read that, I think it honestly speaks to the heart of how we go out and disciple. For some of us, we, we've always known, like, hey, give true. But it's saying, like, hey, everyone has different needs depending on where they're in their walk with Christ. So for someone, it might be taking the time to be like, hey, I'm calling you out. Because of the relationship we have, I have some friends that, that walk in Christ with me that, we can get to that place where they can call me out very directly. But then there's other times where I don't need that. There's sometimes I just need, need to know that God's grace is still there. Sometimes that's what we need to give people according to their needs. It's not just what you want to give either. We talked about this last week of, I can't remember who it is, but someone who doesn't like, doesn't like people, but their calling is hosting, right? We can't just give what we want to give. That's what this is saying. We can't just give the truths and and the pieces of God that we wanna give and then withhold the parts that make us uncomfortable. So sometimes you're gonna have to be ear to listen and you don't like that. Sometimes you're gonna have to be the person that's gonna speak up and maybe you're used to being a fly on the wall. For some of you, it's gonna cause action. You're gonna have to go and call out a friend that they trust you, they love you, but you're too afraid to just call them. And he's saying, do it according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If it's not beneficial, then hey, sometimes it's not the, it's just not the cliff you need to die on. There's some arguments and conflicts that happen in the church that honestly, it has nothing to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with the ultimate goal that we're chasing. It just has to do with our own selfish agenda. And he's saying, if that's the case, it has no place in here. It has no place in conversation in the church. And so we continue on. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And here he's talking about that hardened heart that we, we mentioned earlier. Like, how do you get a hardened heart? It's sitting in these, these emotions. Sitting in bitterness of someone who hurts you. Sitting in rage because of something that didn't go your way. And right here he's giving us very clear-cut things, saying once again, out of the hardened heart, you will callous and turn back to your old ways. Out of the hardened heart, you will lose all hope. Because if you just sit there long enough, you start to believe it. You start to sit in and it festers. All of us have sat there at some point in those emotions, right? We sat there so angry and we have no, no idea why. We're enraged and it's just like, how can you see God and, and, and you're in a place of rage? And so he, he's given us very clear cut, be kind, compassionate to one another. Forgiven each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And so right here, it's my fifth point and that's walk with a new heart. God's saying, you can't, you're not going to be able to fulfill my calling and walk with me with this hardened heart. We saw it at the very beginning of the text from Paul. He's saying, you're going to have to, you're going to have to soften up. You're going to have to allow people in. You're going to have to get over some things. And again, Paul is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And this is something that because we know the author, we know did not come lightly. This man has walked out being the person who murdered, lied, abused, far worse than I'm assuming anyone in here has done. And so he's not telling you this out of a place of like, hey, you just got to forgive. It's that easy. He knows the difficulty that, that comes with it. He knows the challenge that he's setting before you. And that's why he says it. Like, Here's the things that replace replaced with that. Kindness, compassion, forgiving others. And when I say that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, I'm gonna get ready to close with this. And that's like, when I had to walk out forgiveness with my dad, for those of you who don't know, at one point we had a strained relationship to where we didn't talk for seven years. And I had to walk out forgiving him. And I did like, I feel like I do with a lot of my faith. I'm like, oh, easy enough. God, I love you. I trust you. I'll do this. And then my mentor at the time, Abraham Wright, came to me. He's like, all right, how do we walk this out? I'm like, I don't know. I guess pray. He's like, all right, let's start there. And here I was, like, fully prepared, thinking that I could submit that easily. And I didn't really analyze the steps that I needed to take. And all that came out of my mouth was, God help this man. Abraham looked at me. He said, that's all you got? I said, that's all you're getting. And that quickly, I realized my heart was not there. I was like, it's not gonna be easy. It's not just saying, hey, I forgive you. It's a process. It takes time. And so for me, my first steps were like, hey, you gotta learn how to pray for him. You gotta soften your heart. And so for me, that began with, God, I pray that He's He's finding you, regardless of if He ever finds me. Removing that selfishness, right? And then so during that seven year period, my dad got remarried. He also had a, a son. And so for me, then my prayer became God, like, allow him to be a better dad than what I ever experienced, so that my my brother never has to experience this, softening my heart. And I didn't even know it over time. Abraham's just walking this out with me. Allow him to be a great husband so that he can be an example, so that my brother doesn't have to question whether he can ever do that. And then it became God, I, I pray that he's seeking after your heart so that he can lead the family that he has. He had two stepkids at the time. And then eventually, it all was removed of like, God, regardless of if I ever get to experience of this, I have you, that's enough. But I still wanna pray for him. That was my process of softening my heart. That was where my life had to change. Because Abraham made it very clear, he was like, at the time, I was, I was doing FCA at my school, I was walking things out. And sometimes we confuse our sin and our, our current moment of like, hey, as long as I'm doing ministry, Sometimes we get confused in all the good that we're doing and we try and ignore the one thing that's still in our back pocket. That's what I did. I tried to lock it away. And then when we came to that moment, that first prayer, I realized, God, my my heart is hardened. I'm not there. And so what do we do with this information? For me, I, I have three simple. So what's that I just want to apply. The first one is, have you moved? It's so easy to to look at this and say like, God, I'm I'm chasing after you. I'm walking this out. I'm, I'm walking with you and then realize that you have not moved. If you haven't moved, your actions invalidate everything that you said you believe. I'm moving. Do any of you believe I'm moving right now? Because there's no action. So look at it. Have you moved? Second thing, re- remember why you started walking. Again, for me, I go back to like the moment where I first had to pray for my dad. And I remember how, how broken, how, how hardened and enraged, of, even if you mentioned his name, I was like, don't say that. For my mom, if she even compared me to him, even in the most kind-hearted ways, it'd send me off the deep end. Because I I was so enraged that I was like, I want nothing to do with that man. And little did I know the process that would come would completely change my life with forgiving him. That because I could forgive him, it opened me up to a world of walking in peace. But I almost let my hardened heart keep me from that. So I had to remember why I started walking this out in the first place. I had to remember that I was at the foot of the cross begging for something to be different, begging for my life to just be changed. Because chasing the world got me nothing. It left me empty. And then the third thing is recognize your next step. And so like like I said for me, Paul wrote out all of these, but all of you are at different places in your walk. And so he's saying, look at what you have to do. For someone, it's going to be, hey, I need to pray for you. Then I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop talking bad about you. And then before we know it, you look where you once were and you realize you, you've applied action, you've moved, you are doing what we're supposed to do. You're walking in Christ. And so that's the biggest deal. If you hear nothing else, my challenge to you tonight is don't turn back. Don't go back to the life that you once sat at the cross and begged to be removed from. Don't turn back. If you bow with me, I'll pray us up, and then I'll let us go into 120 seconds. Definitely, Father, I just thank you for the word that you delivered through Paul to very clearly let us know that this this walk is not easy, but that also there there has to be action to walk with you. We can't just take on the title. We can't just take on the kingdom and not take on the burden of what needs to be applied in behavior. And so God, I ask that uh, you would reveal in each and every one of our hearts, what is it that we need to chase after you with? What is it that we're still chasing in this world that you're like, hey, this will be a continuous chase until you find me. Who in here needs a why? Who in here does not know you, Lord? I ask that you would reveal that in their hearts that you would let it be clear that they are chasing the world and that they need something that will, that will quench that thirst. And then finally, God, I ask that you would help each and every one of us recognize the next step that we have to take, that we'd understand that this is a process, that it's over time, but that we're walking at the pace of grace, that he's not saying, hey, I need you to change everything overnight, but I do need you to change. I need you to look different, amen.